0: from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 38. It's on page 977 of the Pew Bible, or you can read it from the projection. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? For what can a man give in exchange for his soul if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels this is god's word
1: thank you well it's good to be here this morning uh, can i encourage you to keep your bibles open Uh, because we want to hear god speak we want to hear god's word uh, so keep it open as we work through uh, our passage today i'm going to thank god for the time we've got and then we'll make a start so let's pray dear heavenly father we thank you that we can come here together today and we can study your word we ask that as we do your holy spirit would be working amongst us that he would help us to understand and help us to apply your word to our life And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're thinking about identity. Identity, and particularly mistaken identity. And I must say, I've got lots of experience in this. Because for those of you who don't know, I'm a twin, an identical twin. Uh, That's my brother and I up there. If you're trying to figure out which one's me and which one's him, uh, don't bother. Even I can't figure out which one's us but I'm an identical twin and so I couldn't tell you the number of times that I've had someone come up to me and think that I'm my brother. They come up to me and start talking to me as if I know who they are. Uh, One time I wanted to see how long I could keep it going for, so I had about a 10-minute conversation with someone without them realising that I wasn't actually the person they thought I was. It was quite interesting. I kind of gave vague answers and just kind of nodded along at things they said. And after 10 minutes, they ended the conversation and walked off, never knowing that I wasn't the person they thought I was. It was quite amazing. And my brother has the same. Uh, Often people go up to him thinking that he's me. Uh, One time, one of my good friends went up to him and gave him a hello punch on the arm. Uh, As you can imagine, being punched by someone you don't know is not a pleasant experience. But he didn't know that it wasn't who he thought it was. And so it's important to know who it is we're talking to, isn't it? It's important to know who someone is, not who we think they are, but who they actually are. Why? Because it impacts how we interrelate with that person, how we act towards them. So I would act differently towards my wife, Cassie, than I would to John or Chris. I would go up and hug my wife, I would go and be affectionate to her, I wouldn't go and hug John or Chris or be affectionate to them, unless you want me to, John, (laughs) Uh, in which case maybe I could. But it's important to know who someone is, not who we think they are, but who they actually are. And so today we'll be thinking about that and we'll be thinking about two different identities. We'll be thinking about who Jesus is and who we are. Firstly, Jesus, he's the most important one. It's absolutely crucial that we understand who Jesus is. Not who we think Jesus is, but who Jesus actually is. Because our lives depend on it. And then secondly, we'll be thinking about who we are. And it's important to know who we are, isn't it? Imagine mistaking who you are. Imagine looking at your reflection in the mirror and thinking that it was someone else. How foolish would that be? We can't mistake who we are. So it's important that we know both of them. Firstly, who Jesus is, and then secondly, who we are. So, our passage as we do that is Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 38, and it starts off with the healing account. But this healing account is completely unique. Did you notice why, when we looked at it before? It's because Jesus takes two goes to heal the man. Did you notice that? He heals him. And then he asked the man, what do you see? To which the man replies in verse 24, I see people, they look like trees walking around. In other words, he's not fully healed. He's kind of half healed, but not fully healed. Because people do look vaguely like trees if you squint or you can't see clearly. They've got like a big solid bit in the middle, kind of wavy bits on the side. But they don't look the same if you can see clearly. And so he's only half healed jesus then goes on to fully heal the man later on in the verses but it brings up the question for us why does jesus take two goes to heal the man is jesus just low on energy his batteries flat he's been walking around the wilderness for quite a while now maybe jesus is just tired why does it take jesus two goes to heal him well it's not that jesus is tired and it's not that he's uh, that by some kind of lack of faith by the man. Instead, this is a deliberate action by Jesus. Jesus is wanting to show the disciples something. He's wanting to show them that it's not enough to only see half of the picture. It's not enough to see the big picture, but not the details. That's not enough. Because later on in our passage, as we continue on, we see that that's what the disciples do. They see half of the picture, but not the whole thing they see who jesus is but they don't understand what that means see it's all tied around that idea of who jesus is of jesus's identity and we see that as we continue don't we in verse 27 jesus asks who who the people think he is and who the disciples think he is in verse 29 the people the crowds don't recognize jesus they've got no idea who jesus is they think maybe one of the prophets of old or someone special, but they're not really sure. They don't know who Jesus is. But the disciples, they get it. They know who Jesus is. They see it. Verse 29, Peter answered, you are the Messiah. They've realised who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. Uh, Messiah is a term that just means God's special king or God's chosen king. They're saying that, Jesus, you are God's special king. what would you expect then? That's who Jesus is. So what would you expect that Jesus would say to the disciples? Would you expect that he'd be like, yeah, good work. Go and tell everyone. Go and tell everyone who I am. I think that's what I'd expect Jesus to do. But is that what he does? Have a look at verse 30. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus does the opposite. We'd expect that Jesus would want him to go at them to go and tell everyone who He is. But instead, He says, don't tell anyone. It's so weird. Why does He tell them not to tell anyone? Well, it's because they don't actually understand what they've said. They don't actually understand what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. They're like the blind man from the start. They see the big picture, but not the details. They know that he's the Messiah, but they don't understand what that means. What they're expecting is a conquering king. They expect Jesus, as the Messiah, will come at the head of an army to save the Jewish nation, to make them a world superpower again. But is that what Jesus says it actually means? Is that what Jesus says? He actually is here to do it's in the next couple of verses isn't it and it's so different to what they were expecting Jesus tells them and it's so different he's not a conquering king but rather a humble servant one who will come and suffer for his people have a look at verse 31 he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again does that sound anything like what we were expecting what they were expecting they're expecting conquering king at the head of an army and jesus says suffering servant who will die for his people it's so different and i think we're meant to be shocked by it we're meant to be shocked that, ju- that god's special king would die But because we know the story we know the story of the bible and we know that Jesus dies it's kind of lost its impact on us it's lost its shock value but it was certainly shocking for the hearers it was certainly shocking for the disciples here and that's why we get that funny story where Peter rebukes Jesus he's just said Jesus you are the Messiah you are God's special king and then five minutes later he starts rebuking that person that he's just said is God's special king. It's quite amazing, isn't it? But it comes because he's offended, he's shocked by what Jesus is saying. And that's why Jesus gets so frustrated. Jesus responds to him, get behind me, Satan, he's so frustrated with it, with the fact that Peter is like the blind man at the start. He sees the big picture, but not the details. Again, it's all tied with who Jesus is. The two stories are meant to go side by side, they're meant to parallel each other. We see a physical blindness at the start, paralleled then by a spiritual blindness. We see the blind man who can only see people or physically, he can only see half of the kind of physical reality. And then we see the disciples who can only see half of the spiritual reality. They're meant to go side by side together, And it shows us the disciples, even though they know Jesus is the Messiah, they don't understand what that means, who Jesus is. But who is Jesus? He's God's special King, God's chosen King. A King who will suffer and die. Kings aren't a particularly big deal, though, these days, are they? We kind of have a King or a Queen of Australia, but she doesn't do a huge amount, does she? She's kind of like a figurehead. She goes along to different events. People like the queen, they like kind of getting photos with her, seeing her drive past, but in a governing sense, she doesn't do a huge deal. But that's not what kings used to be like. Kings used to be the whole kind of centre of your kingdom. They were the ones that made all the decisions, they were the ones that led the people, and particularly, they went out to fight for their people. One of my favourite kings, and I think it's a king that appeals to all male hearts, is a guy called Richard the Lionheart. So, he was a big guy. He was kind of muscular and had big beard and used to go out and fight. He was well known for his fighting skills and for his bravery in battle. Hence the name Lionheart. He's got the heart of a lion. I like to think that there's a little bit of me in him. (laughs) But Richard the Lionheart went out and fought for his people. He went out and led his armies into battle to fight for his people. And that's what kings used to be like. But over time, they slowly kind of moved further back and back and back until we have what we have nowadays where they kind of sit in a far-off palace eating caviar and drinking wine not doing a huge amount but that's not what jesus is like jesus is not a modern day king jesus is an old-fashioned king a king who came down out of his palace out of heaven to come and fight for his people to come and suffer and die for his people so that they might be saved That's the kind of king that I want to follow. I don't want a king who sits off in the distance, not getting his hands dirty for his people. I want a king who comes down and suffers and dies, protecting his people, saving his people. And that's who Jesus is. That's Jesus's identity. That's King Jesus's identity. Jesus died so that we could be saved. But if that's not who Jesus is, if that's not his identity, then there is no hope. If Jesus didn't suffer and die to save us, then there is no hope. We'll be like the blind man at the start, ever looking, ever looking and looking and looking, but never seeing. If we don't realise that that's who Jesus is, we just won't get it. Jesus' identity matters because our whole life depends on it our whole salvation depends on it who jesus is is the most important question we could ever answer and now that we've seen who jesus is the passage then moves on to show us who we are who we as the followers of jesus who we are i wonder what we expect jesus to say who do we think we are who do you think you are Who do I think I am? Well, I'm Ollie, I'm the husband of Cassie, I'm 29, I'm a student, I like football and support Melbourne, although I probably shouldn't tell people that. Is that who I am? Or what about you? You're a husband or a wife, a dentist, a doctor, a teacher, an engineer, a student? You're a father or a mother, a grandparent or a grandparent? You're Australian, Chinese, Scottish, Italian, Who are you? Well, Jesus says your identity, who you are, is tied with who Jesus is. Our identity isn't tied up with those things that we thought, they're tied up with Jesus. And that means following in the steps of Jesus, following in his footsteps, which, in other words, means suffering and dying. And that's what we see in verse 34. Have a look at verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him and along with his disciples said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What does Jesus say? Who are we? We're the followers of Jesus who must deny ourselves and take up our cross. It's such strong language, isn't it? Taking up your cross means picking up the tool of your death. It would be like saying, pick up your electric chair and follow me. Or pick up your lethal injection and follow me. It's picking up our own death to follow Jesus. It's quite stunning, isn't it? Our identity is tied with Jesus and therefore picking up our own death to follow him. If we want to follow Jesus... Then we're called to a life of denial, suffering, and death. How do you feel about that? Is that something you long for when you're growing up as a kid? You thought to yourself, when I get older, I want to suffer and die. Is that what we think? Well, I don't, uh, that's not what I long for, and I suspect it's not what you long for. It doesn't sound appealing it doesn't sound like a good deal to follow jesus and to suffer and die that's not a good deal so why on earth would we do it why on earth would we want to do that why would we want a life of suffering self-denial and death well jesus says it's because we're given something so much better something so much better than what we have now It might seem like a bad deal, it might seem like we're losing out, but we're actually gaining, we're actually better off. Why? Because although we might lose our lives now, we gain something so much better, we're given something so much better, we're given eternal life. Have a look at verse 35 and 36. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus says if we lose our lives now, for Jesus and for the gospel, then we're actually saving it. How does that work? It's because everything in life is short-term, isn't it? Everything we can get now is short-term. Money, wealth, fame, family, comfort, status anything you can think of that you can gain now ends when we die. We can't take any of it past death. There's a saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. But what a ridiculous saying is that, isn't it? It's basically saying you win at life if you've gained lots of stuff. But we can't take that stuff with us past death. It's a bit like this. Imagine if someone came to you and said, I'm going to give you... $10 million, imagine how good that would be, imagine all that we could do with $10 million. We could pay off the credit card, we could pay for the kids' school fees, we could buy a new house or pay off the mortgage if we have one, we could go on that holiday we'd always been dreaming of, $10 million, imagine what we could do with that much money. But the catch is, you have to die right now. Would anyone take that deal? $10 million, but you have to die now. We wouldn't, wouldn't we? It's not a good deal because we can't take that money with us. We die and the money's gone. That's what Jesus is saying. It's no good to gain everything in the world if we lose our souls, if we lose the one thing that we can take with us when we die. I was watching The Simpsons the other day. And uh, my favorite, one of my favourite episodes came on. It's an episode where Bart, one of the main characters, sells his soul to one of his friends for $5. And we're meant to watch the episode and think that's a ridiculous deal. Why would you sell your soul for $5? It just doesn't make sense. But I think that's what our society encourages us to do. It might not be for $5, it might be more than that, but it encourages us to ignore our soul, to ignore our eternal life and instead chase worldly pursuits. jesus says no focus instead on your soul the most important thing you have the only thing you can take with you past death that's what jesus says that's the most important thing i'm 29 so at most i have about 60 or 70 years of life left in me if i'm lucky after that i'll die and so whatever i can build up In the first 29 years of life I've had in the next 60 to 70 years whatever I can accrue whatever I can gather in that time won't do me any good when I die it can't go with me past death so far better to follow Jesus and be given eternal life than to spend my life focusing on whatever I can gain in those last 60 or 70 years Uh, Jim Elliot a famous Christian puts it like this He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose that's quite deep so we'll just have a think about it again he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose we're not fools to lose our lives now if it's for jesus and for his gospel if by doing so jesus gives us eternal life it might seem foolish It might seem ridiculous but it's not we're not fools if jesus gives us eternal life see who we are is tied with who jesus is who is jesus he's the suffering messiah god's suffering king who comes and dies for his people and so who are we as followers of jesus we're those who will also suffer and die See, my identity isn't tied up with those things I might have thought. My identity isn't Ollie, the husband of Cassie, the student. No, instead, my identity is tied with Jesus. But if I think that that is my identity, that I am Ollie, the husband of Cassie, the twin who likes football, if that's who I think I am, then I've missed it. I'm like the blind man from the start. I haven't seen the full picture. And the full picture is tied with Jesus. Jesus is because that impacts who we are and so as we end I want us to have a think about the cost of discipleship Jesus says if we follow him then we will suffer and die and so I want us to do a reflection on what cost there is to us in following Jesus is following Jesus actually costing us anything Because Jesus says it must. If our identity is tied with Him, there must be suffering. There must be cost. And so I want you to have a think, I want us all to have a think, what has following Jesus cost us this past week? What has it cost us over the past week? Has it cost me anything? Has it hit my wallet? Has it taken some of my time? Has it caused me to have to have embarrassing conversations at work? What has following Jesus cost me this past week? If we can't think of anything, maybe we need to extend it out a bit wider. What has following Jesus cost me in this past month? Over the last 30 days, has it cost me anything? Has there been anything I've had to give up for Jesus? We still can't think of anything. Maybe we need to extend it out a bit wider. What has it cost me in the past year? What has following Jesus cost me this last year? And you know what? If we can't think of anything, if we can't think of anything it's cost us over the past week or month or year, then maybe it tells me something about where my identity lies maybe it tells me that my identity isn't where I thought it was maybe my identity isn't actually in Jesus even if I want it to be because a tree is known by its fruit and Jesus says that if we're not producing the fruit of suffering and denial for Jesus sake then maybe our identity isn't tied with him maybe we're not the tree we thought we were identity lies in Jesus that's who we are and one of the key ways we know whether it lies there or not is through the costs involved Uh, I've got a friend who I find extremely encouraging in this regard so he's a normal guy just like me he's got wife and kids works a job goes to church enjoys sport works as an engineer And he's perfectly, well not perfectly, but he's a great example of someone who's grasped this idea of suffering and self-denial for Jesus' sake. And so because of this, what he does is he only works four days a week. He's gone gone to work and told them, I only want to work four days instead of five days a week. And he does it so that he can spend that fifth day volunteering at church, giving his time, unpaid time, to church. There's a huge cost involved in that, isn't there? He's missing out on one-fifth of his pay. He's missing out on a whole day's worth of work each week. That means less money. Less money for his wife and kids, less money to pay his bills, less money to pay his mortgage. And it means his career might suffer, doesn't it? Because it's hard to get promotions if you're only working four out of five days a week. There's a huge cost involved in him doing that. But he's done it, and he sees it's worth it because of his identity, because he knows his identity is not tied up in family, his Identity isn't tied up in work or any of those things. His identity is tied up in Jesus. And so he wants to serve Jesus. It's so encouraging to see regular, everyday Christians doing things like that. But I find it quite challenging as well. If that's what he's willing to give up, then what am I giving up? Why am I not willing to give up so much as well? See, our identity lies in Jesus and there must be cost involved. But why wouldn't I want to deny myself? Why wouldn't I want to take up my cross and follow Jesus if he's given up so much for me? If he came down, suffered, died, bled for me, why wouldn't I want to give up stuff for him? If he came down and suffered and died and bled for me, why wouldn't I want to give him that 30 minutes of personal time for Bible reading? If he came down and suffered and died and bled for me, then why wouldn't I want to put that extra 50 or $100 into the offering? If he came down and suffered and died and bled for me, then why wouldn't I want to have that awkward conversation at work? so that i can share the gospel with someone jesus has given me so much so why wouldn't i want to give back to him out of gratitude who are we we're the followers of jesus we're followers of king jesus the king who suffered and died for his people and so although we might lose our lives now in following him We're given something so much better, eternal life. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to pray that God would help us to be followers of him that suffer and deny ourselves. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us The greatest gift we could ever hope for the gift of eternal life but we know that it came at such amazing cost such incredible cost the cost of your son and so we thank you for king jesus who came and suffered and died and bled for us so that we could be given eternal life so we ask that you would help us to find our identity in jesus in jesus and in nothing else And that even though there's cost involved in that even though there's cost involved in being a follower of king jesus we know that we've been given something so much better we've been given eternal life and so we ask that you help us when life feels tough when we're suffering and uh, being and having to deny ourselves for you we ask that you strengthen us and help us to remember that our identity is not in this world but is instead in jesus And we pray in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.